Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Morning, church. All right. Hey, that's pretty good. Right. I thought some of y'all were asleep back there. That's why I was back there watching. Right. If I see any heads drop, I know. Okay. Uh, aren't we blessed? We're blessed. Amen. We have a great worship team. We've got a great staff. We've got a great church. Uh, you know, I'm just very, very thankful. And as Jordan said earlier during the announcements and talking about Operation Ornament, I'm reminded every time I hang one of those ornaments on the tree every year of all the families that have come through. Now, we haven't done that forever, only the last couple years, but uh, just kind of being reminded of those families and, and uh, you know, just the blessings they brought, just like you're bringing blessings now. And uh, it's just a joy to find a church home in Deutschland. Amen. I think it's awesome. I think it's an awesome, awesome privilege. So if you'd open up your Bibles to Genesis, today we're going to talk more about Jacob and his many, many problems and, and how we're really a lot like Jacob, for real. And uh, in his family, we can, some of us can probably really relate to Jacob and all the troubles he's having. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. I just want to note a couple of things. Number one, um, the schedule is kind of in flux during the holiday season, so I've sent an email out to the entire church. If we have your email address, you should have gotten an email from me with a holiday schedule. Okay. Now, we try to keep the website as up-to-date and current as possible, uh, but sometimes small changes aren't reflected in our website. So um, look for that email. Sometimes it goes to spam because it comes through MailChimp, which is a kind of a email direct mail thing and so sometimes it gets filtered so check that because we use you know basically we send a mass email out with that, that information uh, but the schedule is normal this week okay with the exception of one thing there's no student ministries tonight so if you have a, a, a kid in junior high or senior high there's no ministries tonight at six o'clock downstairs but prayer is happening this week growth groups are happening this week prayer is Thursday at 7 o'clock downstairs. We pray for one hour together. Uh, we pray for needs. We pray for uh, a special prayer focus. Pray for our missionaries. And, and it's just a wonderful time to come together. Really want to encourage you to be part of our prayer service. Also just uh, want to encourage you to be take part in something outside. This, this holiday season, this Christmas season, be part of something that affects someone outside of your family, whether it's baking cookies or taking an angel off the tree downstairs. As a family, this is a wonderful thing to do. Take one of those angels, talk with your family about it. You know, if you have kids, include them in it and, you know, pick something out that's nice, right, for the ladies uh, that are in the safe house down, you know, uh, with the angel tree. Thank everyone for baking cookies. It's not too late. A lot of cookies have come in, but what happens now is you just have to deliver them to Diana, who's right here. So if you took, if you signed up to bake cookies and you didn't bring them in today, raise your hand, Diana, so everybody can see you. See her, and she will give you her address, okay, so that you can drop the cookies off because the Vyingen Christmas Market starts this weekend, right? How many of you are excited about Christmas market season? Um, raise your hand if you're excited about Christmas markets. Mostly, okay, a few of you. It's about 50-50. How many of you are with me about the Christmas music thing? Two of you. Well, the rest of you are wrong. Absolutely. 
Majority does not rule here. Okay, okay. So I, much to my surprise, our tree is not up yet. Okay, I, I don't know why I think I'll be hauling it up today, right, and getting all the stuff down from the attic today, but for, it, it's weird that it's not up yet. She's, I'm slowly winning her over, right? If I, pretty soon I'm going to get it down to like zero days, right? No tree. I'm, I'm going to get it to that. No, okay, never going to happen. All right. Anyway, would you guys allow me just a few minutes to geek out? A little bit. I'm really in a geeky mood because this weekend was the at, at the Messe. If you don't know what the Messe is, it's like a, a big indoor fairgrounds over by the airport, and they have different uh, fairs at all the time. They have an auto fair, food fair, and this week was the board gaming fair, and so I was there all day Friday. I saw Diana there, and I uh, saw, of course, saw my frau there too, but there's, it's also a craft thing, so there's a lot going on over there, and so I was just busy geeking out all weekend, and I said, Okay, maybe it's on my brain, so I'm going to geek out a little bit today. Look at this dude. Who knows who this guy is, right? Captain America. Now, if I put a picture of Matthew, the tax collector up there, some of you would be like, I don't know who that is. But everybody knows who Captain America is, right? I mean, he is the coolest superhero ever, okay, ever. He's, the, he's my favorite. He's Marcus's favorite. That's all you need to know, okay? Um, <laughs> But actually, if you don't know his origin story, Captain America was given a special medical treatment that enhanced his strength and his abilities, and he, then he just became this massive force for justice, right? And I mean, what I love about Captain America is he is always standing for good. He is always standing for good. He's not one of these superheroes who's got this, like, like Batman, right? That dude is just too depressing, right? Too sad. And I, I don't even have him on here, but I have another one, The Flash, right? Some of you probably watched the Flash show on, on Netflix, and, and, and you're into this story. Here's another guy. He's just, he's kind of young, naive, but he's always fighting for good, and he's like super fast. He's really, really quick, okay? And his origin story is he got hit by radiation, I think. What? Lightning bolt. Okay, sorry. There he is. I don't, I don't do DC, man, okay? And then lastly, Spider-Man, we all know how Spider-Man came to be, right? He got bit by a spider, right? A, a, a genetically modified spider that gives him his spider sense, his spider abilities. He's able to crawl walls. When I was a little kid, I would dress up as Spider-Man for uh, Halloween, and my mom would turn the little uh, Super 8 video camera. Super 8, that's how old I am. She would turn it over, and, and so it looked like I was crawling on the ceiling. I, I wish I could have found it, right? But she would turn the camera upside down. I'd be crawling around on her shag, red shag carpet, and it looked like I was crawling upside down. But in this story, if you've seen the first Superman movie with Tobey Maguire, you hear a great quote from Ben Parker, um, uh, Spider-Man's uncle. He says this, With great power comes great responsibility. Anybody ever heard that before, right? If you know this about Spider-Man, you know this about Ben Parker, and maybe some of you might think, well, this quote obviously originates with Ben Parker. Well, it, it does not, okay? It's actually, if you do some research on this, which I did, <laughs> fortunately, uh, in 1793, uh, this was part of the, this was quote is traced back to the French Revolution, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. It's also been quoted by Churchill, Roosevelt, and many, many others throughout history. But there's, a, there's some truth in this today. You might be thinking, well, 
Pastor Matt is just geeking out. I know, or maybe you're thinking, I know what to get him for Christmas, and you do. Okay, but <laughs> you're thinking, you know, what does this all, you know, I don't care about superheroes, I don't care about any of this, and that's okay. But one thing that we see from all of these superheroes that we've talked about today uh, so far is that they experienced transformation, and that transformation gave them a new mission. Right, Ben Parker was just going to high school. I mean, uh, Peter Parker was just going to high school before he got bit by the spider. Right, Captain America was just another guy. The Flash, just another guy. But something happened to them, and it changed the entire direction of their life. Today, as we look at Jacob, we're going to see a very similar thing. And as an extension of that, we're going to see how God's influence, the internal change that Jesus brings into our life, changes our outward mission to the world. I might even put it to you that while superheroes are works of fiction, graphic novels and the such, that you have been given supernatural ability through the power of God to transform the world. And we love superheroes, right? We, we love watching the story because we like seeing like this transformation. We love the story of, of, of just ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I want to tell you that that is your future, that is your destiny, that is your purpose, that is the point of you being if you would just lay hold of it, if you would just lay hold of it. So let's get into the word today, Genesis chapter 32. We're skipping over some of it uh, from last week. Let me just bring us all up to speed. Jacob is uh, going to see his brother Esau. Now, he's a little afraid, right? And he ought to be because he cheated his brother out of his birthright. He sold his birth, Esau sold Jacob his birthright for a pot of red lentil stew. Still can't believe that. And... uh, Then he cheats him out of the blessing of his father by pretending to be him. And uh, so he inherited all that his father had. He's 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 doing very well. He's got a new wife. He was, you know, even though Laban tried to cheat him, his uh, father in law tried to cheat him. He he kind of came out on that, too. And you can read all about that. Many of you have through your devotionals this week. But uh, now he is presented with the opportunity to see Esau again. And he's a little afraid. He's and because he fears for his life, you know. I mean, if Esau kills Jacob, he takes everything. He takes everything. And so Jacob is right to be concerned. Uh verse 22. Excuse me. Verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Jacob here is wrestling with God for a blessing. He knows that he, can, he is really afraid to face Esau on his own, and he's wrestling now some people would say that this is actually God who he is wrestling with, and there's a, there's a great possibility that that is who Jacob is wrestling with, but it could also be an angel of the Lord. We don't specifically know who he's wrestling with, but we do know that whoever he's wrestling with is very powerful, okay? He just touches his hip and throws it out of socket. That seems extremely painful, right? Extremely painful. Think about that. You're just, you know, your hip is out of joint. You're just, 
that just seems extremely painful. I've known several people who've had some hip surgeries. My brother uh, has had some hip surgery, and he was laid up for a long, long time. Because your hip, all of you, you know, you think about it, all of your weight is here on these these two joints, and so if something's just a little skewed, it, you're going to be in tremendous pain. But God here uh, is teaching Jacob a lesson, and while Jacob may be afraid to see Esau, I, I, I definitely see a lot of this dysfunction of the of Jacob and Esau and his father in my family as well. And maybe you do, right? Maybe you come from a perfect family where everybody gets along, and there's you just want to see everybody in your family all the time. And that's awesome. That's great. My family's not like that. And there's some unresolved differences in our family. And doesn't that just make Thanksgiving weird, right? When you show up for Thanksgiving and there's some unresolved differences between aunt so-and-so and uh, and her sister or uh, like between you and your brother or whatever, there's some unresolved differences, some un- unresolved tension. And the, here you are supposed to pretend to be thankful and nice to each other for like two or three hours. Uh, and it makes things really, really awkward. And so you avoid your family. Is this anybody else? Like you avoid people because there's unresolved difference. Now, here's the thing. When we get into the New Testament, Jesus specifically commands all of his people to be peacemakers. Right? Now, can you alone restore peace in your family? No, right? You can't. You cannot make absolute peace with your family because it, making the peace takes two people for sure. But the Bible also commands us, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, right? I want to tell you, church, while some Christians struggle with this, this, this inner conflict with the family, here's my advice to you. Forgive those who have wronged you. Pray for your enemies, family, blood or not. Right? Start praying for them. Start trusting God to change their heart for reconciliation. And hopefully that's what we're all hoping for, not the absolute destruction of that family member who's wreaking havoc in our lives. But we're praying for reconciliation between us and them and God. Right? And just start praying and believing God to do something in their life. And then when you forgive them, when you do everything you can to live at peace with people, then you are free from that bondage, that uncomfortableness, right? When you release all those expectations, when you release all of that, then you can go enjoy your Thanksgiving. You can go home for Christmas. You can be around so-and-so, right? Even though they just keep spouting stupid stuff, right? You can be around them because you are doing everything you can to be at peace with them, and your relationship with God is where it ought to be. That's, that's kind of all for free, okay? Because we're in Thanksgiving. We're in the holidays, right? And you know, sometimes it can be weird, and, and people make it weird, but let us not make it weird, all right? Let us be peacemakers. So God here is really concerned for Jacob's character. You know, why is he wrestling? You think about it, God doesn't need to wrestle with anybody, right? He doesn't need to wrestle with anybody. So we can assume that this entire exercise is for Jacob's benefit, not for God's. But has, have any of you ever wrestled with anything? Have you ever been gotten things kind of out of whack and, and uh, you're wrestling with God for something? You know, God teaches us a lot through that trial. He teaches us a lot through that struggle. And I want to tell you that God is concerned about not only Jacob's character, but he's concerned about your character. Ca- character 
really matters to God. I would put it to you that your character is more important to God than your comfort. God is more concerned about who you are than how comfortable you are. And, and sometimes God is in the business of making us uncomfortable so that we would grow and become more like him. And as a result, we will experience more peace. We will experience more blessing, right? But we need our character to be conformed by him. Uh, 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 excuse me. Changed, but transformed by him. Here's the one reason we wrestle with God, right? And I think Jacob is, is, is uh, proof of this. We wrestle with God when we demand his blessing, but we refuse his authority. This is really where we wrestle with God. We demand his blessing, but we refuse his authority. We want things from God, but we don't want to submit ourselves to him. We don't want to raise that white flag and say, Lord, I surrender everything to you. See, some of us maybe call ourselves Christian, but we're way far away from calling Jesus Lord. And this is, there is an important distinction to be made. 90% of the Western world, okay, at least let me just speak about America for a second. You know, many, many polls have been done in America about who's Christian, who's not. It's like 80% of the nation claims to be a Christian. That's crazy. We all know that is a crazy number, right? 80% of, the, of America claims to be a Christian. But when you get down and you start asking some uh, follow-up questions, some clarifying questions, like what does that mean? Is Jesus Lord? Is heaven and hell real? Is Jesus real? Who is Jesus? Then that number starts dropping drastically, right? Because there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians, but there are very few who call Jesus Lord. And this is a really important distinction to be made. If you're sick of wrestling with God, if you're sick of, of, of trying to to, to this thing that you know God says he wants you to have in your word, in his word, when you're wrestling with God over something, can I put it to you for just maybe the possibility is you want his blessing, but you won't receive his authority in your life. And in in, in church, this is important, right? I mean, I'm all about evangelism. I'm all about reaching the lost, but I'm also very concerned for the lost that come to church every single Sunday. I'm very concerned about those who come and sit through a sermon, but, but do not submit to the authority, not my authority, mind you, not the authority of the advisory council, not the authority of the leadership of this church, but God's authority. God's authority. See, when we are the authority in our lives, when we decide what we're going to take out of God's word, when we decide what we're going to digest from the sermon, all right, you can leave all the superhero stuff alone, right? I don't care. But when we're talking about God's word, we're talking about God's authority in our lives, we have to receive that from the Lord, right? It's not, we don't just get to pick and choose because then you are the authority. You are the authority, not God. And so the key to, to, to coming out of that wrestling with God is submission, submission. Now, God may have to wrench our hip to humble us, you know, God wants us humble. He wants us acknowledging him as the Lord, right? And when we pray, when we seek God, that's one thing we're doing. We're saying, God, I can't do this on my own. You might think prayer is a frivolous exercise. Well, God's going to do what God's going to do. And while God is sovereign, many times God, throughout Scripture, God limits himself by what he will do through the prayers of his people, by the prayers of his people. He may have every intention of bringing blessing, but until his people pray, he's not going to do it. 
He's not going to do it. He wants us to be humbled. And some of us are not walking around with one bad hip. We got two. And we got this arm that's just kind of hanging here. Right? Because God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to humble us. He's trying to bring us to the place of submission. See, here's the thing, and this is why it's so dangerous. Those who call themselves Christians, I think, are going to be very disappointed on the day of judgment, whether we meet the Lord in the air or it's upon death. We're going to be disappointed because we're going to get to heaven, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. He says that this happens, and who is he talking to? He's talking to people who may have called themselves Christians, said, Lord, Lord, but never followed him, never really submitted themselves to him, never really received him as Lord. This is very important distinction that we have to make. And God is wrenching our hips. He's, you know, we think, well, why are bad things happening? Is God, the first thing we should be asking is, is God trying to get my attention over something? Is God trying to teach me something through this hardship, through this lesson? And you know, God teaches us more through hardships than he ever does through blessing. That's the absolute truth. When we lose people, when we go through what what is seemingly hell on earth, sometimes God is teaching us things through the, you know, the, the mountain, when we're on the mountain with God, it feels so good, but we are created to walk in the valley. We are created to walk on the earth. We are created to go through hard times. We're created to endure those things, and those things bring us closer to God. They certainly can bring us closer to God. And he definitely teaches us more through the stripping away of the things of this world constantly. Character counts to God. So if you're going through a tough time, pray about it. Ask God, is there something you're trying to teach me, God? You know, don't make, don't, don't be that person who has to have every single important thing in your life stripped away before you acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? It's not a good place to be. I can testify of that personally. So let's skip around down to, uh, we're going to just pick up actually to Genesis 32, 28. We'll just continue the story here. And then he said, this is God saying to Jacob. He said, to, he said, Jacob, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Here, God is, he has, he has done a, a mighty work in Jacob's life. He touched his hip, and Jacob acknowledges that God is teaching him something here. But we see that Jacob, is, because he's learned his lesson, he's not healed, right? He continues to walk with a limp. And this is a constant reminder of Jacob of this mom, to Jacob of this moment. How many of you have ever had something in your life where you can look back, you, like, you can remember the day you gave your heart, you surrendered your life to Jesus. If you, you can remember that. You can remember it like it was yesterday, right? And that's, that's a Pinel moment. That's a moment in your life that will, there, you, whether you did it figuratively or literally, you built a monument right there. 
just like Jacob, and that's a monument in your memory. You stack some rocks, and you anoint it with oil, and that is the place in your life where you were changed. You were transformed. You can look back to that moment. You may not remember the exact day or month or even week or any of that, but you will remember that day when you fully surrendered your life to Jesus. Right Now, some of you, you might be like, well, I was brought up in church. I really never departed from the Lord. And, and that may, but you also probably have Peniel moments in your life where epif- epiphany moments, God really showed you something powerful and he changed your life forever in a flash of an eye, right? It may not be salvation because it doesn't end with salvation for those of you who have that moment, right? Because there are other moments in our lives where God really speaks to us and he says, you know, we, we know it's God, we know it's a change, and, and we walk with that. We remember that. And so this is a reminder to Jacob. And why are these important? Because we are involved in a process, and the process is important to God. You know, some I've heard it said before, what we call the process, God calls the end. You know, as we are walking through life, and God is taking us through the process, I'll I tell you, when God saved me, it, it's a reminder when I'm tempted, when I want to give up, right? Believe it or not, there have been moments in the seven years I've been pastoring this church where I've wanted to quit. I've wanted to quit. I've wanted to walk away. Taking responsibility for a hundred other people, you know, that weighs on me from time to time. Can I just be transparent for a moment here? That 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 I feel that weight. And man, if I ever don't feel that weight, fire me right? Fire me. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be standing behind this desk. I shouldn't be preaching the word of God if I don't feel that responsibility for those I lead. And, uh, but there are times where certain people I lead frustrate the tar out of me. And I let that get in my head and I let it get in my spirit and I want to quit. But you know what? I always go back to that pineal moment. When God called me, I know he called me. I know he sent me here. And until he calls me to somewhere else in just a powerful, in that same way, I know that this is where I'm supposed to be. My whole duty in life is to follow the leading of the Lord, to be aligned, my will to be aligned with his. Now, a lot of us, we go through this life and we're like, God, this is my will. Will you get on board with it? And you are wrestling with God. But here's the thing. You need to find out what the will of God is in your, for, for your life, and then you need to get on board with it, all right? And this is what we see in Jacob. Jacob has been doing things all up until this point on his own, all right? He, 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 he cheated his brother, you know? He cheated, you know, he kind of repaid Laban for the evil done to him, but he's still cheating. He's still not counting on the blessing of God. He's not counting on his promises. But here in this moment, Jacob stopped fighting against God, and he started fighting alongside of God. This is a huge moment in his life. He stopped fighting against God, and he started fighting alongside of God. God had a plan for his life. He's kind of been going his own way, but here in this moment, he gets it, and his life is changed. Church, I don't know if you know this, but if you don't serve, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, you have made yourself his enemy. And, and uh, I, can, I can personally testify that I was an enemy of the cross until the day Jesus touched my life. And I, I, you know, God had given me many opportunities to receive him and receive this gift of salvation before. But in the moment I accepted it, I know for a fact I switched sides, 
right? I was no longer an enemy of the cross, just like Paul, right, who was an enemy of the cross, but in the moment when God knocked him off his high horse and, and uh, he saw the glory of God, he saw the person of Jesus Christ, he was forever transformed and he started fighting on his side. He started fighting for the Lord, not against the Lord. We have to understand that there is a fundamental shift that happens in our lives. And in that moment where we, get, where we become Christians, where we surrender our lives to Christ, there's a lot of things happening in that moment. We simplify it as preachers and in churches to kind of make it palatable, right? We, we've reduced salvation to raising your hand with every eye closed and every head bowed. Why? To keep people from being embarrassed. Now, I would submit to you that if you are embarrassed about receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're not ready. That's what I believe, you know, because those who were blind and now they see, they run to the front, right? We see the woman at the well who Jesus basically called a whore right to her face. And he says, and, and she says, she runs back to the town and says, look, come meet this man who told me everything I've ever done, right? She, she testifies of it. Her embarrassment is gone because everybody in that town knows exactly what she's done right? Word gets around. And, she, and everybody knows, and she's like, Jesus, this is Jesus. And so, look at, I have done that too, right? And I'm not faulting that. But sometimes I think we do that as preachers to, to help ourselves feel successful. <laughs> you know, well, if I just make everybody bow their heads and close their eyes and raise their hand, more people will do it, and I'll feel like I'm more, like I'm doing something. And, and there, is, there is an element of that to my shame and to our shame, but the truth is, when you're ready to surrender your life to Christ, and that moment happens, there is nothing going to keep you in your seat if I said, come to the front, right? There's nothing going to keep you from confessing. There's nothing going to keep you from being baptized. I've talked to a lot of people about water baptism, and they may be, they're, they're like, well, why do I have to be baptized? What's the, what's the point? I was baptized as a baby. As a baby, did you, can you make Jesus Lord of your life? No. You cannot. And we all know that that's a decision that each adult person has to make, right? At whatever age they're able to do that, some younger than others. But baptism is an outward sign to the world. It's not raising a hand. It's not coming to the front. It's water baptism. That is the symbol that Jesus has given us to say to the world, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only one. And so that's why water baptism is really important. That's why these moments are important in our lives. And we need these moments. We need it. God knows we need them. He knows we need the Mount of Transfiguration. He knows we need to be on top of the mountain because it's those mountaintops, it's those pineal moments that when we're going through the stuff of life and we can look back and say, I remember when. I remember when God did this. I remember when God did that. And see, that if, if we didn't have the process, if we didn't have the process, we wouldn't have those moments to look back on. And so sometimes we loathe the process. We hate the process. But God is teaching us some great things through the process. And those of us who are a little bit more mature in the Lord, those of us who have been serving Jesus for a while, we understand this. That just because we become a Christian doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory. As a matter of fact, the Bible promises that it gets harder. It gets harder. Because there's constraints on you that's not on the world, right? It's a funny thing, when I was a kid... You're probably, I think 50% of the world is like this, but you know, there's some kid in class who's goofing around, and then you join. I, there was always that kid who would goof around, and then I would join in, and then I would get caught. 
You know, somebody would hit me and I'd smack them right back. And that's the one the teacher saw, right? That was just the way it always worked for me. And, uh, you know, that, that trouble, that, that pain uh, is for Christians is there because we see a lot of times we see the world just getting along just fine, right? And we're like, why am I even doing this? You know, my friends seem blessed, um, and they don't have to go to church on Sunday and have some guy yell at them for an hour. You know, why do I have to do that? Church, I, I, I know it's easy to look up here now at myself and the others who serve up here and think, well, you know, they've probably been a Christian their whole life, you know. I want to tell you, that you, if you've been here any length of time, you know that's not your pastor. You know that's not me. I've tasted what the world has to offer, and I promise you, I promise you, I promise you that what Jesus brings to the table is so much better than anything the world can offer. I may never be rich. I may, I may never have a Mercedes S-Class. I really want one. <laughs> Dear Jesus, I really want one for Christmas. You know, maybe that's the case, but I've, God has blessed me more than I could ever, ever have asked for or definitely deserve. And um, I just, I just, I, I don't know what else to say about it. You know, it's just, I don't feel like I gave up a thing. I don't feel like I gave up a thing. Of course, like a lot of people, I've, that's what I focused on before I became a Christian, you know, what I couldn't do. But man, we really need, when we're telling people about Jesus, we really need to focus on what God brings to the table for us and, and uh, how our lives are different. See, we have a new, when we're saved, when we become a Christian, when we submit to his lordship, we have a new identity. We're not just born again. We have a new identity because of Christ's substitutionary death and resurrection we're just we're no longer slaves we're no longer defined by our past we are a new creation redeemed alive and growing to become more like christ let's go to our third point and we're going to skip up to genesis chapter 35 now we skip <laughs> we skip some cool stuff okay i'm telling you that right now this what we're doing here this is not designed for you to be the only bible time you get all week right i, I say that every week you need to read between where we're skipping to, because you, like, anyway, this the story about Jacob's son's sisters, Diana, in chapter 34, it's pretty hardcore, man, okay? It's really good, so make sure you go back and read that as well. So, but we're going to go up to Genesis chapter 35, verse 9, and we're going to read through 15. God again appeared to Jacob when he came from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And so he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured out oil on it. Verse 15, so Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. So here, here we have a new man, we have a new identity, and now 
we have a new mission. We have a new mission. And Jacob has received the full blessing of God and is now going to be the one. He is now the one through whom the blessing is going to continue. The promise to Abraham, right? More offspring than the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. It's not Esau, the firstborn, who's carrying this out. It's now officially Jacob. And Jacob has been transformed. Jacob has humbled himself. Jacob is a new man. He's got a new identity, and now he has a new mission. Jacob's past of a lying schemer is not defining him anymore, and nor should ours. When we become a Christian, we are really bad at forgiving ourselves. We are really bad at leaving the past behind, and we shouldn't forget who we are or where we came from because much of that has to do with who we are today, and we should use those past hurts and those past pains and those past mistakes to minister to other people, but they do not define us right? No man should be, no man, no woman, no person should be defined by their worst moments in life, right? They shouldn't be. And we often do that, especially us. We're really hard on people. We love doing that because it makes us, it gives us a sense of moral superiority. It makes us feel better. We love defining people by their worst moments. But the truth is Jesus never did that. Jesus never did that. You know, Matthew was a tax collector, a thief, a liar. But when he comes to Jesus, Jesus just forgets it, right? He's just like, now you are Matthew. Now you are my disciple, right? And surely all the other disciples were sinners, right? Surely they were. And we don't know really the character of any of them prior to Jesus meeting them because it never gets brought up, right? Now, especially between spouses, right? We love bringing up the old stuff, right? You remember when, 20 years ago, when you did this and lied about that and remember that's just like now. <laughs> it's like 20 years ago, man, right? I've never done any of that anyway, so yeah. It's okay for you to laugh at that. Okay, but this new identity that we have, it kind of harkens back to our quote that we opened our sermon up with. With great power comes great responsibility. With great privilege, with our new identity, comes great responsibility. If we encounter the living God, it's impossible to see the world the same way. We are transformed. That's why so many churches are named Bethel. Tons of churches are named Bethel, and they're not all linked. They're not all like, oh yeah, you went to Bethel here in California. Well, I went to Bethel in, in, in Ohio. They're not the same. It's just a popular name for churches because it's, it's at the point where Jacob met God and was changed right? He was transformed as a person. He gained a new identity and his mission changed. That's why it's an important name among churches. It's because it signifies that. And it's impossible. If you, God has really touched your life, it's impossible to see the world the same way. It is impossible to see it the same way. And some of you might be thinking, well, I don't see the world differently. And maybe this is causing you to question your relationship with God. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We should, be, we should be looking at our own walk with the Lord. We should be examining ourselves and looking at it. If you're not transformed, if you're not changed, if you haven't been born again, this is something you really should consider. Do I see the world a different way? Do I really have a submissive relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I submitted to him? Do I respect and acknowledge his authority over my life? Am I a follower of Jesus or am I religious? 
where is it? I ask myself these questions. You should be asking yourself these questions. Jacob understood that his new identity brought with it a new mission. And we see this repeated over and over and over in the New Testament. Right? We see it with Peter and John and Matthew and especially Paul. We see it with Greg. Right? We see it with Gina. We see it with Michael. We see it with Damien. We see it with Nick. This continuing process of we meet God, we're changed, we're transformed. We're transformed. We're no longer living for the world, living for Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? This is a continuing pattern that continues even to this day. A lot of us just like to add Christianity to our dossier. You know, lieutenant colonel, husband, father, soccer coach, Christian. It's just one of the things that we are. If it's not the most dominant thing, if you're not a Christian lieutenant colonel, if you're not a Christian father, if you're not a Christian husband, if you're not a Christian soccer coach, you are not on mission for God. Period. Right? Everything else we do, secular, this idea of this is my secular job, this is what I do, this is what I do for the army, this is what I do for the navy. No. And and when I go to church, I'm an usher. That's what I do for the Lord. No. You've got it twisted. And this is a completely mischaracterization of what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to like compartmentalize your life. We do that. We are to be Christian first in everything we do. Like no Christian officer, no Christian NCO, no Christian junior enlisted should ever, ever have to be take an oath to tell the truth. Right? We should just do it. We should be people of honor, people of integrity. Not because we're in the Navy or we're an officer or we're in the Air Force and we're enlisted, but because we're Christians. We're Christians. And we should be the, the most, most reliable, the hardest working. We, we would do it because we're Christians. We serve the Lord, right? That's why we do it. Not for a raise, not for more money, not so we can tick off a box on our EPR or evaluation. We do it because we serve Jesus. We do everything with excellence. And I want to tell you that you may not find, you, you may be in a position today where you are not finding fulfillment in your job. Or no mother would ever confess this probably. But you may be a stay-at-home mom here, right, working hard, working really hard, but you're not finding f- fulfillment in that, right? Because you're, you, you loved your career. You love that. And now you're, it feels like you're, you're you can feel like, I, I can only assume it can feel like you're trapped sometimes, right? And, but there, I want to tell you that sometimes your husbands feel trapped too. They're in jobs they don't want to be in. Sometimes they're in a career path that they're not happy with. But church, I want to tell you, when we focus not on that, but we focus on God's mission for our lives, we focus on what God wants to do through us, we will always find purpose, we will always find meaning, and we will always find fulfillment, regardless of where you find yourself working, right, or where you're at in your life. Be a Christian first. Own that identity. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't hide it. Jesus says, those who deny me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. That's powerful words. 
He tells us and commands us to let our light shine before men, to let others know of our faith. And it's one thing to do it through lifestyle evangelism. Oh, well, you know, I, I don't cuss at work and I don't do this. But the, the Bible tells us that we have to tell other people about Jesus. Faith comes through hearing, not by watching. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. That's very, very important because I think sometimes we kind of give ourselves a pass by saying lifestyle evangelism. The two are not mutually exclusive by any means, but we also need to tell people the reason for our faith, the reason that we are who we are. Really, really important. And that's being part of the mission of God. God, you know, I've said this many times, and you'll hear it again when we do the state of the church. The mission of SMCC is the proclamation of the gospel to the nations of the earth and the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that that mission should be the mission statement for every single church on the face of the planet. Because that's the mission, that's the only mission in the Bible that God gives his people. That's it. It's not to be a light in Sacramento and whatever. It's to reach the nations with the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's your mission. It's my mission. All of us working together. That's our mission. And I think we get frustrated in life. We get frustrated in the world because we, we have compartmentalized that and said, no, that's my church thing, right? That's not my life thing. Have you really been transformed if that's the case? Woe to me if I don't preach this gospel. It's bubbling up within me. I can't keep it contained. I've got to tell other people about Jesus. And that's not just for preachers or missionaries or evangelists. That should be bubbling out of each and every one of us. Amen? Today you have a new, you are a new creation in Jesus. You have a new identity in him. You are no longer who you were. You are a son of God. You are heirs. You are a royal priesthood. Own that. Own that. And accept the mission that God has given you to proclaim the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit to the nations of the earth. And your nation starts in the cubicle next to you, at the mopped group, whatever, right? That's wherever you find yourself, that's where it's at. You cannot be a blessing where you're not, only where you are, amen? So be a blessing where you are. Accept the mission. Accept what God says about you. Own it. With great power comes great responsibility, all right? Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.